Hi, you're listening to the Indie Bookshelf podcast with me, Holly. And me, Amy. As we champion the indie book industry, from independent authors and publishers to independent bookshops. We have a range of literary discussions and book recommendations to indulge your love for all things bookish. The Indie Bookshelf podcast is brought to you by Asteria Press, our indie publishing house specialising in cosy fantasy books. And in today's episode, we're looking at what a commissioning editor looks for in a submission. So make yourselves comfortable and let's dive right in. Wonderful. Well, how about we start with actually just going right back to the very, very beginning before we even get to the editing stage and we just look at what it's like writing and submitting a manuscript. Now, Amy, I know you are our commissioning editor, but do you, you also write as well. So do you want to talk about what it's like, just the process of writing and what that's um, like for you? Uh, I would say that I write, not that I'm a writer, which I mean, is a a source of hot debate on the internet at the minute. Um, not at the minute, just in general. It's a it's a reoccurring debate. Um, so my process is I have an idea, I write it for a bit, and then I periodically feel incredibly guilty that I'm not writing. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I think many of us can relate to that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm. Uh, I've got forty thousand words on my first ever whip work in progress. Um, I'm stuck. And I'm t- my process is set essentially, do I give up or is giving up giving up? So maybe I'm not the best person to talk to. No, but I think in many ways that actually is a really nice introduction because I think when you come to submitting a book, it's we need to recognise the amount of effort and work and both the, the physical work of actually typing out the words, but also the emotional mental journey of like, you know, committing to such a long project um often in your spare time around jobs around other family commitments and so I think it's a really good place to start being like you know what before we even get to talking about submitting a manuscript we need to acknowledge what an awesome thing it is to have created a manuscript um and that's where we need to start is uh if you're listening to this podcast you're thinking of maybe submitting um that we we recognize the achievement you've already made just by getting to this point just by even being able to consider the question how do I submit a manuscript um so first up guys well done um if you're in that position and we see yeah just the work and the effort and the love you've put into this manuscript and I think one thing that's really important to us as an indie um, publisher is that every single manuscript that does come into our submissions um, pile, we we recognise the amount of effort that's gone in and we recognise what a labour of love that is and what an important story that is. And, you know, the sad truth is we can't take on every single manuscript. That's, that's the nature of the game. Um, but every single manuscript is one that we will treasure and, you know, honour regardless of whether or not it it goes through our process or not I just think it's worth starting off on that note um before we talk about what a commissioning editor looks for um so Amy I'm going to give you a a slightly nicer question this time um so don't you worry you're looking at me without panicked panicked expression but do not fear 
Uh, I would love it if you could maybe define for us what a commissioning editor is. I mean, a commissioning editor is the ultimate gate gatekeeper. I, I recognize that. I see so many people, like you said, who have put a huge amount of effort and love into their books. And what the, the final hurdle, as, as it were, that they have to get through to get their book published by a publisher is being accepted or having the book accepted by the commissioning editor. So they sit at the top of a uh, publishing house or an imprint and they uh, either read or get pitched all of the submissions and decide which ones best fit their vision for their publishing house and for their lists um, and uh, create the schedules for what books are published and when. And I think that the gatekeeper conversation is such an important one to have and to acknowledge um, and that it's a subject that quite a few authors have had either really negative experiences around um, or that can be such just a daunting process to approach. And I think one thing that you, I think, highlighted that I just want to kind of spend a moment on is to say there are so many good books that never get published, not because the manuscripts themselves are lacking, but precisely because what the commissioning editor is doing is effectively curating the list that fits their vision. And so, so much of it depends on whether or not your manuscript just happens to fit with that particular commissioning editor. And it's why a manuscript might get rejected by one publisher, but picked up by another. It's not because one publisher is rubbish at, you know, seeing the potential in a book. It's about whether or not that book happens to fit. And so one thing just to put out there is um, when when we're getting rejected, it's so easy to take it personally. Um, it's so easy to feel like, oh, you know, my book must be rubbish. And, you know, does anyone believe in it? And and the truth is that many people might have read it and gone, this has got real potential. It's just not right for me or it's not right for me this year with this list I've already got or whatever it is. And I think, again, it's just worth being really transparent about that in that process and that the commissioning editor really is the the curator of their own list um, in that. So what does a commissioning editor look for? Um, Amy, you brought up some um, points that we're going to go through. Um, the first one that you came up with, with is called knowing your book. So could you please dive into that a bit? What do you mean by knowing your book? Well, it's, it's what it says on the tin. It's the most horrible thing I've said today, and I'm really sorry. But when you're pitching your book to an agent or to a publisher or to an editor, you've got to know your book. Otherwise, you're not pitching anything. And I think there's a there's a various versions of a meme where someone says, oh, you're a writer. What's your book about? And there's just like dialogue noises in your head and the wheel of death. And we don't know what our book's about. We don't know what the plot is. Um I know I'm like that with my writing. Um, oh, 100% I'm like that too. <laughs> but you you can't have that when you come to pitching. You've got to know what your book is because at that point in time, you're, you're selling it. You're not selling it in kind of how we day-to-day -day interact with selling. Um, that you're not, you know, 
putting it out on a bench and hawking it at a market. What you're doing is you're selling the idea of your book to a purchaser, to someone who's going to like acquire it. Um, so when you know, when I say you need to know your book, what I mean is you need to be able to communicate what your book is about, what is special about it, and what the editor, the particular person you're talking to, is going to love about it. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost you've got to think of yourself as you've got a product to sell, and you need to market it. And many writers will really shy away from that. Um, and I think it is really daunting, especially if maybe you haven't done this many times before, or maybe if you're not, you don't have a toe in the literary book world yourself as a, a different, you know, job, whether you're an editor somewhere or something else. So how do we make this idea of pitching a book more uh, accessible? Um, what what does that actually mean on the ground? Because we can get all scare, scared about salesy stuff, but actually when it comes down to knowing your book, um, what are some of the tips? Let's take plot and story first. How how might you p- pitch a plot um, in that sort of high level sense? So when you're pitching a plot, what you want to do is you've got to know your plot, obviously, uh, but also know what plot is. So the plots are the action beats, the the actual things that happen that drive the arc of the novel. Um, and what you also need to know is what your story is and how it differs from the plot and how it interacts with the plot. Because what the story is, isn't the series of events. It's how your characters exist and feel and react and grow through those series of events. Um, so you really do have to know both uh, to be able to to know your book and to sell your book. Um the plot is what happens, yes, but the story is why the person you're talking to cares about what happens. Because when we're reading books, we're not reading for, like, we're not reading it as a Wikipedia page. We're not wanting the bullet points of this is what happened and why. Um, we're reading it for the story. We're reading it for the characters to engage with them. Um, so the first part of marketing, like the sales language of your book, is the story and the emotional impact of it and how your characters are impacted by it. Yeah. So it's, if I understand you correctly, it's kind of those, the big level why the story matters. What What is it trying to communicate? What's it trying to tell? What's the key thing you want people to take away from this experience of reading? Yes, yeah. Uh, and the next thing you've actually got written down here is is character. So could you explain if you're pitching a book and you're in your cover letter or your synopsis, what, what, who do you need to include in terms of characters and how much detail do you need to go into with them? Mm, I don't think it's, I don't think the question is how much detail. I think it's what detail. Um, and I find this a lot when I'm reading and editing books, um, it's really important what detail you share about characters to make people care. And it's the same with marketing. Um, so as I this relates to before, like all of these points of knowing your book, they're not distinct and separate. They're all in, incredibly related because that's, that's how books work. Um, so to really know your character, 
when you're you're pitching that character and trying to make an, an editor love that character, you're not going to say name, age, hair color, eye color, that kind of thing. That I mean, they're the kind of thing that often crops up in writing. It feels really important to you whilst writing that so and so's eyes are green, like. That feels important, actually, when it comes to pitching. Most of the time it isn't. Um, what does matter is the, the more core level of who they are. Um, you might look at what their flaws are, especially if they're deeply related to the story. Um, and you might talk about what the emotional journey that they go on is. Um, and if there are any distinct traits that are relevant, such as if they're a middle-aged mother of three, midlife mother of three, uh, you might state that as a point of, this is how you should relate to this character. Um, so when you're giving details on characters, think about what's going to be most evocative mm -hmm. in the person reading it. You're trying to make the commissioning editor or the agent feel something, and that's a really difficult thing to do without actually reading your book you've got two pages or less depending on who you're pitching to to make the reader feel something so when you're when yeah. you're delving into character that's what you're getting at um and as to how many and who stick to the the key characters typically it's one if especially you've got one main character you you would pick the main character but maybe if it's a multi-pov you'd take um your narrating characters but if there is a character you're mentioning you've got to make sure that there's an emotional relevance um and a relevance to the story that you're pitching yeah and i've actually just got an example not from obviously a pitch but from a blurb which does this really really well um that i came across recently so i've recently read ali hazelwood's new novel which is called love theoretically and the blurb just manages to capture the main character, Elsie, in an amazing way. Um, it basically talks about how Elsie moulds herself to fit um, the expectations or needs of whoever she's in front of at that moment. And she calls it the Elsie-verse, where she has multiple different Elsies who perform multiple different roles, depending on who she's interacting with. And just that one concept really strikes a chord with anyone who's maybe got that people-pleasing um, note in them. And I think it's been one of those concepts, she's a really well-loved character already, you know, within just a few weeks of the book being published, because that character trait just resonated. It just, you know, I haven't told you anything else about this character, you know, what age, what anything. Um, and already, I think you have that emotional connection to her. Yeah, And I think I'm... that's a good example of this what you're talking about mm. and you've not even said anything about well you've not said anything at all about the plot and you've only touched on story in so much as how character is situated in it and yet you can still get a sense of what that might be just mm. from the character detail which which is incredible it's not something that if that said elsie blonde elsie who lives in i don't know cornwall and is a dog walker there's there's no there's no story there and yet that feels like the same amount of detail mm. yeah 
No, that's really helpful. And the last beat just in this knowing your book is genre, which I think for me, honestly, as somebody who writes cross genre is such a difficult thing to actually narrow your book, which is so much more than a couple of words in a genre. And to, and to just to define those those two words to assign to it, I found really difficult initially. Now I'm very content and very happy with the genre it's in. But I wonder whether you could just give a a couple of tips for people when thinking about genre. I mean, hopefully anyone who's submitting to us has an affinity to the cosy fantasy genre, but um, maybe you could just have a few words on that. Mm, well, yeah, you've you've already got the first point there is when you're talking about genre, go back to the people that you're submitting to and look what genre look for what genre they're expecting and how that they define and interact with that genre because if they say uh, they want fantasy and whimsical and you've got whimsical elements in your your uh novel manuscript what you've got to do is is pull that out and show that it's whimsical and that might be in some character detail that might be in some of the story elements um, but you do have to show it and you do have to show it using the same sorts of language and signifiers that the person that you're submitting to is doing. Um, obviously don't lie, don't make it up because it's wasting your time. It's wasting the person that's got to read its time. Yes, a gritty urban fantasy can have whimsical elements and I've read plenty that do, um, but that doesn't mean that you should submit to, you know, a whimsical children's sci-fi publisher like it, it just won't work uh, it has to fit enough um i think the second thing to commit to the i think the second thing to consider is that genre is a marketing tool um so you can sort of you can sort of play with it and you can take angles on it um and show how your manuscript can fit into a genre in a unique unique way um and thirdly i think this is very specific to asteria press as a publisher is that it's okay not to neatly fit into any so long as you've it's intentional so long as it, you're actively being subversive and if you are show how talk about how you might even want a separate paragraph in your query letter if you are your sole intention as being subversive where you talk about that um and i said that was my final point but that's a lie uh, this is my final point <laughs> and it's, i've talked a lot about like showing what the genre is so if you've got a hard fantasy romance which now i've said it out loud sounds like an odd combination but maybe not you can show those elements and you can talk about the story and how it relates to like the hard fantasy elements and the you obviously you would talk about the romance elements you'd talk about the characters involved in the romance potentially but what you should also do going against the age-old advice show don't tell you should be explicitly say your first sentence should be i've got x novel this many words and it is this defined genre and it's okay if that term that you use doesn't fully encompass what you've written because you can you can delve into the nuances as you discuss the story but the first thing you have to do is be explicit and say i've written a book called octopus 
plant, just looking around the room for names. It's got 65,000 words and it is a biological fantasy, fantasy dystopia. And that has to be your first sentence. Um, properly defining the genre and then exploring it through the story and character. And I think that's when knowing your subgenre as well comes in really useful. Um, good pieces of advice are go look at a bookshop and try and work out what shelf your book would fit into. And that can be quite a helpful starting point or do it on Amazon if you know, you'd rather do it at home. Although Amazon can be a harder place to... Um, you've almost got to choose your genre first, which almost is, is the opposite of what I'm suggesting here is, is find find the stories you think it would fit well with. Um, find the stories that you maybe have used as inspiration or have modelled your book from as well. Have a look at what genres they are, and that might help tell you what genre um, your book is. So in the case of A Case of Dragons, um, it's not enough to say it's fantasy. It is cosy fantasy. It's also cosy murder mystery. And so what you've got is a cosy murder mystery fantasy. And that is, you know, that's that's three different genre um, items that is, is crossed there into one. And it gives a really specific idea of what that precise genre is for this particular book. And already, if you're listening to this, you've probably got an idea in your head of what that might be looking like. Um without me having told you anything about the story, the characters, anything. Um, so yes, that's some top tips there. And I think what we've talked about in here is knowing your book. And this is so far very much focused on, you know what, this is who you are. And in many ways, yes, you need to tailor these things to the to the publisher you're looking for, like you've already said, you know, highlight the things we you already know the particular publisher or agent is looking for. But then there's also a case of knowing your editor. And the second big overarching point you've got here after knowing your book is knowing your editor. So could you maybe start off um, talking a bit about what that means? That was the smoothest transition. Oh, I, I don't know what you're doing right now at home. Who am I? What you're doing right now at home. But put down whatever you're doing and give Holly a round of applause because <laughs> incredible. <laughs> So yeah, when when we speak about knowing your editor, that's that's a difficult one. I mean, most of us have social media profiles, um, and you can go and find out a bit about them there. But for many publishers and uh, many agencies, uh, editors and agencies a agents are, for lack of a better word, protected and anonymized. Um, just, you know, for, for a whole host of reasons. So it can be really difficult to get to know the editor. Um, but there are a couple of ways to go about it. You can go and check out their social media. And if you find you have anything in common with them, normally when you write a, a query letter, you do include a little paragraph about yourself because it's not just your book that you're selling. In a weird way, you're sort of selling yourself as well. Um, because you're as much a part of your book as anything. So you will normally include a paragraph about yourself. And that's that's a point where you're trying to make the editor care about you, which again, that's that can feel really, really uncomfortable. But if you can find something 
like a point of um comparison's the wrong word, but I'm going with it. Between you and the editor, that can be a really good thing to highlight. So um I spent a lot of time on manuscript wish list, which is where you can find out about editors and what they're looking for. Editors, agents and what they're looking for. And they often have a little bio saying, Oh, I'm I'm into horse riding and I like to carve unicorns out of stone. And if you, you know, if that resonates I'm gonna, with you. I'm going to find it hard to find a connection there. I'm not going to lie. I'm rubbish <laughs> at carving and I've never gone horse riding. <laughs> but, you know, we'll, we'll take the example. So, yeah. Holly might not try and make a personal connection there because, again, don't lie. But if you do also happen to like carving things out of stone, mention it because you'll stand out um so yeah there's there's knowing the editor like on a more human level which is is difficult and not not necessary but what is necessary and much less difficult is knowing your editor's list um you should know what type of books the editor already works on and is looking at working on before you submit you shouldn't leave that to guesswork you shouldn't submit your book to anyone and everyone and let them make the decision and let them uh think things through for you um because that's unfair uh you know what your book is you know uh what readers will love about your book so search what an editor is looking for and what an editor's list looks like to see if they've got books similar when I say editor's list, I mean it's a backlist of titles, the books that they've published before under that imprint or publishing house or collection. Um, and if you're unsure where to look for that information, where would you suggest looking for it? On the publisher's website uh, is a good place to start. In fact, that's the best place to start. Look on the publisher's website. They will, they will have the books that they've published there. Um, the other thing you can do is, again, you can look at socials. I will be shocked if there isn't an editor excited about what they've worked on. Um, but yeah, if you're publishing, if, uh, if you're submitting to a commissioning editor, you typically know what house that they're in and what books they oversee. So check with the publisher. Um, I think I might just dive in at this point and say, because I obviously... Um, I'm both a writer and now also a creative director at a publishing house. And so I've got an interesting position in that I have both a writing author hat and also then a publisher hat now as well. And the two are quite different and the way they approach books is quite different. And I know that before I worked um, at Asteria Press, one of the things I struggle with as a writer is the idea of doing all this research about the editor. I think there was a bit of me, and I don't know whether there are other writers who will resonate with this, which is why I'm just mentioning it here, where it's almost like you've spent this last, let's call it a year, two years, however long it is, writing this book. And then it's almost like the idea of then having to go through all this effort to research your editor and to do all of this kind of extra work around it was a really big mental stumbling block. And I think sometimes felt almost unfair um, that it felt like, you know, the the chances are always slim, whether you're you're going to get picked or not. And the fact that you're having to do all this work, you know, 20 times over. 
um, if you're submitting to lots of different places, for instance. And I think one thing that I just want to pick up with um, to help maybe if other people have, have also got, you know, a bit of a struggle around this particular issue is the thing is, is that you could submit to 20 different people, but if you haven't spent the time getting to know your editor, your chances for each one will be so much reduced because at the end of the day, you're making this pitch to a person. And the more you can know about that person, the stronger your pitch is inevitably going to be. And also you might even end up deciding, you know what, this might be a brilliant editor, but I'm not going to pitch to them because I know they won't be interested in this work. It doesn't mean they wouldn't think it's a good book. It doesn't mean I wouldn't love to work with them because they're a brilliant editor. It just means this book, this time, this place isn't worth the effort. And so you might make eight submissions instead of 20, but if you spent the time really researching all those eight editors and really crafting that pitch, each pitch you're going to make is going to be so much stronger and your chances are going to be so much higher. And I think if that helps just psychologically with this particular bit of the process, please take that and, and I hope it helps. Mm. Um, and let me let us know if there are other other tips we can share and um, things that you found that makes this slightly easier. Yes, please do. Um, while we're still on the topic of knowing your editor, and I was thinking about it during, while we were talking about genre earlier as well, is that sometimes people have written books that don't seem to fit anywhere. And all of this talk of go and look uh, in a bookshop and uh, see where your book would be and uh, people talk about comparable titles and what's already been published, what an editor is already sitting on. And that can be really demoralizing because there are no books like yours on the shelf and there are no comparable titles and the editor has not touched anything like what you've done before because what you've done is so unique and it's who you are and, you know, potentially you're a voice that's underserved by this industry and there are plenty. Um, so it can be really demoralizing to hear that as advice. And to you, I say, I mean, for one, you're incredible. That's so much harder work than what everyone else has to go through. Um, because I know the stories that I've written, I can find there. I, I can see them on my shelf, if I'm honest, like that process part of the process is just so much more accessible to me so to you I would say focus truly on who you are and really focus on the the knowing your story part of our advice here um and be un uncompromising be uncompromisingly you and when you find an editor that sees you and hears your voice and goes yes the world needs this that's the editor for you um, because your your voice needs heard and your story is important. And I'm sorry that you can't find it on a bookshelf yet because you deserve that. I feel really emotional just listening to you. And I don't feel like I'm a person who's unserved by the community. Uh, thank you for that, Amy. That was, that was really powerful. Um, and I think, yeah, really important because we, we need 
your unique voice um the world needs it and yeah for everyone who's been underserved I, I really hope that yeah that those words have have meant something and and that you recognize how much we we do see you um and how much the world needs to see you um okay so now we've had our really deep golden moment that Amy's just you know magically provided us all with uh I'm going to move into a much more prosaic and um functional um set of uh things to consider when making a submission to a commissioning editor um grammar and rules and chapters and this kind of thing so this this section is titled how to make a good impression Amy how do we make a good impression just spell stuff right yeah I mean I mean fair that's that's a pretty legit response (laughs) it's not it's not overly helpful so like when I say just have have good grammar I don't mean it needs to be it needs to be perfect no one's gonna mark you down for a comma splice because that's what editors are for but if you've misspelt your name if you've misspelt the editor's name um and if if there are just so I have a really bad habit of um muddling up homophones in my writing um so it's a thing that I pay close attention to in other people's writing when I'm editing it because I know how easy it is um and when we say like good grammar is is going to get you you know it's going to make a better submission it's not without the knowledge that we all make typos. The reason why it's got so much of a weight on it is that you're you are trying to make the best impression that you can, um, and you're meant to be putting time and effort into your submissions um, because you're expecting the person reading it to put time and effort into reading it and responding and maybe even taking on your book. So, like, it's a mutual respect thing, and it's a you know, knowing the industry. Um, but just spell things right isn't helpful. Um, especially when, you know, words inbuilt editor isn't very good. Not everyone can afford words, so not everyone has words inbuilt words inbuilt um grammar and editor check. Um Grammarly isn't very good. Like there are tools out there, but they all have failings. Um and some writers have dyslexia or other reasons why, you know, spelling might be difficult. Um, and to that, I say, have writer friends around you. Share your submission. You're at a point where you've got to be vulnerable anyway. You're submitting something to an editor. It doesn't hurt to have another person look at it at this point, really. Um, so just try your best and at least spell the f- first sentence right, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Uh, it's fairly self-explanatory that one um and I guess the one thing to say is maybe the exception to the rule is if you're deliberately trying to be subversive or if you're deliberately trying to write um in a particular voice or tone that is part of who you are and what you're pitching is that your book is written in um a very different cultural voice then then use that cultural voice be be you in that um this is this is the standard for 
general submissions there will always be exceptions to the rule we're just going to put that out there um the next you've reminded me there actually sorry there is there is more than one english grammar so i mean that's one of the reasons why all these tools are no good is because your writing might be perfectly fine but you're not writing in british english grammar in fact not even just british english because there are different grammars within british english you know like i was gonna say the queen's english there the king's english um so yeah if if your writing isn't as it would be on the bbc that's fine we're not looking for that what we're looking for is that you've not misspelled cat (laughs) yep fair (laughs) so the rules of submission um again you know what i'm gonna take this one because i feel that this one is is, i I can do (laughs) um the rules of submission every um editor agent will have rules about how you need to make your submission annoyingly Usually, because every single editor and agent comes up with their own rules, they're all slightly different. It is worth paying attention to the slight differences. Um, So if one particular editor says they want uh, no more than 2,000 words um, for a synopsis and it needs to be in size 12 font, do that. Like, don't don't bother trying to make it any different. just because it will it will annoy the editor. And the last thing you want is for the editor to be to be annoyed. <laughs> you want the editor to, to like your submission as much as possible. Um, so yeah, just be careful when you're looking. They will be on all the websites. They'll be easy to find um, and, and stick to them. Mm. Yeah, they may, might seem silly. And some of them are. Like, to the best of my knowledge, there's no reason why a submission has to be in 12-point font. Because I can change at my end. But when a commissioning editor is looking for a book, and when you're looking for a commissioning editor, the other thing that you're trying to find is a professional working relationship that might have to go on for several years. And if you're demonstrating that you're difficult to work with and can't follow rules from the first step, it's not going to look good. Yeah. And the other thing just to mention on this it, with rules of submission is generally editors will have necessary aspects to the rules and they may also have things that they find desirable, which aren't the rule section, but is more what they're looking for in a manuscript. Um, and so, for example, in Asteria Press, we've got certain rules that you have to follow when you're making a submission to us. But we then also show what are we looking for? And we've got several examples of the kinds of things that we get excited about. And I'd say that's the bit where um, obviously you need to be fitting in in general somewhere about it. But don't worry if you don't fit every single if you don't tick every single box 100 percent. No, no book is likely to do that. Um, you need to be fitting the the vibe, if you like. Um, and at least hitting some of those points, but don't don't worry mm. um, if you see you know that there's a particular editor who loves books. I don't know that feature cats. Your book doesn't have to feature cats in a major way. Like if your book features a cat, draw on it. But like it, you don't need to worry about hitting every single desirable point. You do need to worry about hitting every single rule of how you need to make the submission. The final note on rules of submission, and this takes us back to the more, you know, the the fixed rules on font and things like that. 
is that rules can and should be changed for accessibility needs. And if uh, the way that a manuscript needs to be submitted or the way that you are expecting feedback from the agent or publisher isn't going to work because of a disability or another access need, communicate that because if they're worth their salt, they will make reasonable adjustments for you and they should. Just be really explicit about why you need to change it. So for example, um, there's one book I'm thinking of where the first chapter is just one sentence. And this person might have decided, right, I'm, I'm literally just going to submit the first three chapters and that's going to be chapter one, which is just one sentence, then the next two chapters. However, I wouldn't personally have minded if she'd submitted the first four chapters and stated in the cover letter, I'm submitting the first four chapters because the first chapter is simply a sentence. And so to give you a better idea of my writing, I'm submitting the first three chapters that are actually chapter length. Something like that to me would be as an editor, I'd be looking at and thinking, oh, not only has she actually understood the rules, um, but she's she's really thought about this submission and, and that's a sensible decision. I personally would overlook that. Maybe other people wouldn't. Mm. Um, but that's maybe an example where, yeah, you can tailor the rules to your own book if it happens to be an exception like that. Most books won't be. Uh, nice. The rules and their exceptions. Done. And so moving on to the first three chapters, Amy, um, how can, when you're submitting your first three chapters, what should we be thinking about? What we should be thinking about is, are they good? I mean, fair, that which... <laughs> <laughs> that's blunt and to the point <laughs> i love it <laughs> and of course are they good is incredibly subjective um obviously look at whether the first three chapters includes the things that the, the publisher is looking for if you're submitting to a horror publisher and your first three chapters are in the idyllic phase and they're not they're not drawing on the genre anyway, that might not put you in a very good standing. Um, and the other thing to consider is does the, and this is where we go back to plot versus story, does the plot start within your first three chapters? Um, and this is a really, really common thing. And it is, it is the first three chapters that I'm often asking people to cut because the first three chapters end up being kind of an exploration of what your story is. And the plot doesn't actually start. Um, so it shows that you haven't done the necessary self-editing before submitting. Um, so yeah, make sure that you've had people that aren't your family and your very close friends read it because you're going to need some feedback that isn't kind. I mean, all feedback should be kind, but, you know, that isn't biased, that isn't trying to protect you. Um, find some people that can give you kind feedback, but honest feedback, um, and submit three chapters that you've worked on really, really hard and have uh, really good writing and have your plot and really uh, going are going to draw the, the editor in, the reader in. Yeah, no, that's... That's really good. And if there are people 
out there who are maybe thinking, oh gosh, I don't know whether I've got someone in my circle of acquaintances who who can fulfill that function. Um, what what tips and advice would you give to that person? Uh, my main advice would be do something like join a writing group. You can find them online. There's the London Writers Salon. There'll be there'll be other similar things. Um, I'm certain that there are websites that offer beta reading. Beta reading. Um, so doing that would be good. Um, often in uh, when you're beta reading, that will be in exchange. Like you'll read some of their chapters to them reading yours. Um, so I would do anything like that where you can find people um, online or through a library or bookshop, something like that, where you can find people to have an exchange. Um, there is another way you can find freelance editors who will do um, reviews of either the whole manuscript or the first three chapters. And if you want the professional input and you want to pay for some really good informed advice, and you can, you're in a position to be able to do that, do it. Like it's it's going to add value to your work and you're going to have confidence that you're submitting something really good, um, but it isn't necessary. Yeah. No, and I think it's nice knowing it's an option, um, especially if maybe you're somebody who um, just doesn't have many friends who are involved in writing um, or who maybe... Um, are interested in giving critical feedback as opposed to encouraging feedback. Um, so it's always good to have that as like a backup um, option, but it's yeah not necessary. And the last bullet point um, in this how to submit to an editor um, sort of advice interview with Amy, um, the last bullet point is a question and it is what makes you unique? So Amy, could you dive into that for us? Oh, do I really have to? <laughs> What makes you me get tired? No, I know that's what you're asking. <laughs> um, yeah, like I said before, when you're pitching your book, you're not just pitching your book, you're pitching you. Um, so you've got to, you've got to pitch as a unique, as yourself. Don't try to be someone else. Um, and I think this is where people get quite stuck with comparable titles because comparable doesn't mean the same um and in fact I don't think comparable titles are even necessary they're they can be really helpful but they're not necessary so what you've really got to think on is not just what makes you fit in with what's already been published and um what your book is like but also what you and your book are bringing to the world which sounds, you know, bigger than it needs to be, actually. Um, you've got to... What it comes down to is normally, what what about your book excites you? And that's what I ask every author that I work with, is what in this is exciting? Because you want to find an editor that is also excited by that thing. Um because that's that's how that's what's going to get the best you know work for your book is is someone that's excited for the same reasons um so like when you're writing these pitches come from that angle come from the angle of this is something i really love about my book 
hear it. Um, be your book's biggest fan, be your biggest fan, which can be really difficult, especially when you're deep in the trenches of querying. You can stop being excited about you and about what you're bringing to the world. And I think that's the most important part. Mm. And I think there was there was a little phrase you had earlier. I, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was something like, be uncompromising. And actually, for me, that really struck a chord of saying, you know what, what makes you unique? You don't need to hide in this. You don't need to try and adapt and do that, do that Elsieverse thing of, oh, let's let's try and make myself the best, most perfect submission and, you know, perfect author. We don't want that. We want you. Um, And the most powerful thing you have to offer is you. you know, without you, there would there wouldn't even be this manuscript in the first place. So mm. as much as you can, you can stand on your own two feet and have the confidence to to proclaim who you are and what makes your story unique. Um and I think that segues very nicely. Oh, I'm good on these transitions today, into author self-care, um, which is the the flip side of making a submission. Because we've talked all about you know, the things you can do to to give your submission, to give your manuscript the best chance it possibly can. But there is another side to this. There's actually the side of, you know what, it's pretty darn hard making all these submissions <laughs> and it's a difficult thing to do, let alone having written the book, but then submitting it. So I just wanted to end this podcast with a bit of um, how how we can think about looking after ourselves when making submissions um because it's important um and it matters and it's part of the process um of submitting whatever it is to um a commissioning editor so i think for me um the first thing i would say is celebrate when you finish your manuscript and have it in the stage where it is ready to be sent off if you can please find some way to celebrate And for you, that might be going out for a meal or getting a takeaway or something like that. But it can also be something that isn't financial. It can be giving yourself a week uh, break from writing or something like that. It could be something like choosing to go for a really nice walk um, in a place that means a lot to you. It could be, you know, deciding to bake your favorite treat. Find something that you can do that will give you joy and will give you a sense of accomplishment and if possible include someone else in that celebration be that a partner um a child a friend um have make it a thing that you you celebrate reaching this point and making the submission stage um and if you want to do do mini celebrations every time you make the submission maybe you're gonna you know give yourself um a little chocolate every time you you send off that email or something like that um find ways to celebrate through it um throughout the process um mm. did you want to add something to that amy yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> buy yourself like, yarn that's what you would do <laughs> oh it is what i would do <laughs> there you go if you're submitting to us mention yarn yeah amy loves <laughs> that's like putting that out there <laughs> I have, um, this is unrelated, I've actually been trying to make the hashtag writers who knit a thing, and it's not working, but 
I live in hope. <laughs> um, yeah, you emailed someone today. That's incredible. Run yourself a bubble bath. Um, you did some revisions. Like, go and have a nap, you know? Like, just treat yourself in every moment in response to everything you do because you, you deserve it. Yeah. It's, it's tough out there. <laughs> yes. No, celebration's a really important thing. And I think, you know, it's it's a fallacy that the moment to celebrate is the moment that the the book deal is signed. Um, that doesn't need to be the way that we tell our stories. We we can celebrate getting our book to the place where it's even being sent off. We can celebrate every time we make that submission. We do the brave and vulnerable thing of sending this work out to another mm. uh editor. Um, you can write that story instead. Um, yeah, someone said something really powerful, actually, about a completely different thing. But it's it was like, yes, things all might fall through, but you can choose to be like to celebrate, and then if it falls through, it falls through, or you can hold that celebration until you have the success and celebrate then. But then you've missed out on all of those months of celebrating that you could have been doing. So celebrate either way. And then you at least had some joy, even if it doesn't work out. And it will make it a more joyous process um, because it can. It, it is a stressful process. Let, let's just be honest with that. It's it's a stressful process. It's not a nice process to go through. So being able to find the joy in it and 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 have those moments that actually make it a positive thing rather than you know, the negative thing it, it can be for so many people, I think is really important. Um, and my second bullet point on this self-care um, list is community. Um, now, take, obviously, this is this is my personal thing of what's helped me. So take this with a pinch of salt. It might not be what's helped you. Um, but for me, it was really important to tell people, certain people, when I was making a submission. Um, so there'll be certain people I would say, I've just made a submission to this agency this week and just you know just that the fact that they knew um and would and they would ask then in a few weeks and I'd be able to say oh I haven't heard anything back and I'd be able to say oh I got a rejection um because I've, I've had rejection <laughs> letters um and they were able to give me some encouragement at that point that I think had I been by myself um it would have been a harder process it felt like I was doing it with people um and this is where, you know, the people to have alongside you are the people who are really going to have your back, who are really going to encourage you, um, who are not going to be giving you critical feedback, um, but who are just going to be there cheering you on. Um, it doesn't have to be many people. It can it can honestly be two or three. Um, that's that's enough. But but don't do this alone. Don't make it an isolated experience if you can. Um, and. With all that talk of celebrating, I think it's equally important to give yourself space to vent. Yeah. Like you're allowed to have negative emotions about this this process and you don't have to publicly vent if that's not your thing. But I mean, this is something I'm really bad at, but share your failings with someone because that, it takes away some of the weight. And funnily um, enough, I often find when I spoke about the rejection um, that I got from various agents with with the community I had for this process. Funnily enough, it helped me find back some of the motivation, the joy to make the next submission. Um, 
Whereas when I kept it to myself, I think I struggled much more with um, perspective, I guess. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely a, a helpful thing. Um, the third bullet point I've written down is one that I, I wasn't sure whether to include because it can just sound really negative. So, so I hope you understand where I'm trying to go with this as opposed to what it might come out sounding like. <laughs> And that is manage your expectations. Um, I think, I don't know whether other people have this when they're writing, but I have days when I'm writing when I'm like, this is the best thing ever. And then I have days when I'm writing when like, this is the worst thing ever. Why am I writing? Um, I can be very melodramatic. I can be very one end or the other. And I think that it is exacerbated during the submissions process. I'll have days when I'm like, this has got so much potential. I'm sure they're going to go for it. They're going to love it. And I'll have days when I'm like, no one's going to like this. <laughs> Neither of those are very well-managed expectations. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think as much as you can, you always have to be aware that, you know, it's hard getting getting through the gatekeeper stage. There is a reason why lots of people don't, don't make it there. Um, and for me, it was really worth having backup options there, knowing that self-publishing was an option, for instance, um, I think helped me make it with those expectations. Um, for me, it was helpful having an attitude, I'm going to give it a whirl. I'm going to give it a shot, but trying not to get too attached to each submission. Um, that may work for you. It may not. Um, I recently submitted to an artist competition and honestly I nearly didn't submit because um I I was like I just had this attitude of I'm gonna give it a whirl and it probably isn't gonna be worthwhile I ended up doing way better than I thought I was going to do I didn't make the winner shortlist but I did I did get a special commendation and like it's but that attitude really helped because it meant I wasn't attached to it um it's really hard to do when you've written you've spent so much effort on this one you know project um so and the other thing to say is you know, if your book does get accepted, there will probably also be a period of managing expectations there as well. Because I think for so many of us authors, it's like, you know, it's the dream. And it's almost like the success story we've been sold of like, well, once you've got through the gatekeeper, you've then made it. You are now an author. Um, and actually, you know, when once you get through that stage, the next stage begins, which is getting it ready for publication. Um and it won't necessarily transform into, you know, a six-figure book deal down the line. You know, it's just, it's worth knowing that this is a marathon, not a sprint. Um, and that the reason you're doing it is because you love writing and because this is part of who you are. Um, and as much as we can, we need to try and try and have a rational head on as well as the emotional head. Um I preach that to myself more than I preach it to you because <laughs> I'm awful at it, <laughs> which is why I included it as a bullet point. Mm. Amy, do you want to say something? Are we on rest? You're on rest and renewal. Cool. I was resting my mind. <laughs> Clearly, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was that was not a slick transition. I'm, I'm just going to say that. <laughs> You're all good. I was just, I was just sat in awe. Okay, I wasn't, I wasn't fully listening. I was just like, oh, she's so good at things. Moving on. I'm just, a, I'm just a big fan of you. Um, yes, rest and renewal. Well, 
Um, yeah. Um, this is a long one today, but yes, writing is an art, and when you're when you're engaging in art, you're putting something of yourself into it, and then when you're sharing that art, that's incredibly vulnerable. So take time to rest from that, um, and restore and protect your creative energy. Um, be that through taking a break entirely from all creating or creating something that's just for yourself. They say write for yourself, and that's true. But when you start to pitch that to people, you're no longer, it's no longer for yourself, it's for others. So go and do something for you. Go and create purely for you. Um, yeah, I think that's what I have to say on rest and renewal. There's one um, question that um, I came across. I love journaling. Um, journaling is something I do. That's my rest and renewal thing um and I um have got the journaling compendium by the um amazing Amy McNee who is the host of the unpublished podcast she's an amazing writer I um I um recommend that's the word I'm looking for I recommend that you go check her out and the first question in her journaling compendium is one that has really stuck with me and I'm just going to offer it here um because I think it's quite a useful question. Um, the question is, what brings energy in? What takes energy out? And the thing is, is that making a submission will take energy out and it's a big chunk of energy usually. So really think about what brings energy in and how much energy do you need to take in to offset that energy going out? How are you going to balance that? Um, so I just offer that to you as a really helpful thing. And like I say, go check out Amy McNee. She's amazing. Um, I'm a big fan. And yes, that was that was that. Which brings us to the end of this incredibly long show. I love the fact before we um, started this podcast, Amy was like, oh, I'm sure it'll be a quick one today. And um, yeah, sorry about that. This is a long episode. <laughs> so update on Asteria Press, Aaron. We'll be quick with this. We will be. Line editing is finished. And Holly, you need to do your edit. I get to do my last editing stage for A Case of Dragons. I'm very excited. Uh, the fantasy map for A Case of Dragons is complete. It's very exciting. I'm very happy with it. Um, I will be sharing that on socials and on email soon. And of course, on topic. The, the reason why we're all here today is submissions are opening. 1st of August, 2023. And in fact, and they may us. already have opened by the time you're listening to this podcast. Oh, no, they definitely are yeah. open. Yeah, submissions the are open. open. Show us your books. <laughs> yes, go submit. Um, no, we're honestly, we're so looking forward to receiving more submissions. Um, we have made a joint commitment that we are both going to read all the submissions that come in um, and that we are going to respond to every single submission that we get. Um, with at least some feedback um, because we know from personal experience how difficult this process can be and I think um, we want it to be as rewarding and valuable for you as possible so as long as we can we will be guaranteeing that we will be um, responding to your submission so yes next podcast I think you better introduce this one yeah I will do join us next month Yes, join us next month. <laughs> we'll be uh, interviewing 
the wonderful Holly ahead of her publication of A Case of Dragons um, and hearing about her writing process and, and all about who she is. I'm very excited for it. I know. I'm really excited for it too. Phil's Phil's really, oh, just amazing. Um, and where to find us? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram uh, for at Asteria Press. And you can find us at Macedon at the incredibly long um, at Asteria Press at bookstadon.com. There we go. There we go. And in the meantime. In the meantime. (laughs) Keep keep reading. reading.